Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Victoria Benyon, and the founder of the Victoria Benyon Podcast Booking Agency. And you're listening to The Best Guest, the podcast for business owners, creatives, and entrepreneurs who want to harness the power of podcasts to grow their platforms and increase their visibility. We're here to support you on your journey, bringing you actionable tips with each episode. Now, let's begin. Hello, RuPaul. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? Yeah, really good. Warm and very, very good. Thanks. <laughs> it is so warm. I know you have to keep the windows closed, don't you, with an interview and it's um, yes. baking in here. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to, to having the shot, Victoria. Oh, me too. Me too. So you went from being a CIA agent to CEO. Was it always your goal to work in the intelligence services? No, it wasn't. Well, I never knew what I wanted to be when I grew up and I still sort of don't. Life is full of interesting opportunities and experiences. And I don't like to close myself off to, to too many of them. I like having a goal, a direction, sort of a values compass, but then I'm a pretty agnostic about what that looks like in reality. And so for me, the CIA, it didn't fall into my lap. I did the right things to get recruited. But the way that unfolded is I have always, always, always been very curious about the world. I love learning languages. I love traveling. I love understanding how different countries work, how different cultures operate. And some of that was informed by being uh, a children of immigrants. So having an Indian American background and, you know, being steeped in two different cultures at the same time and seeing some of the tensions, but also just, I think by nature and by exposure, my parents love to travel. So we traveled quite a lot as children. I developed a real thirst for living and, and understanding how different countries work. And so my initial way of bringing that into a marketable skill was to study political science as an undergraduate. And that's what I did. And I interned at the State Department for a summer in Muscat, Oman, which was my first time working overseas and getting a taste for life as an expat, as a diplomat. And it seemed really, really just spot on for all of those things that I loved and cared about. But I guess life had other, other ideas in mind. And so after I finished my undergraduate degree, I studied a master's in international affairs, again, thinking I would go and join the foreign service. And then it was while I was studying for my master's that the agency recruited me. And I thought, oh, well, the CIA was never on my radar, but I can't say no. I mean, it's such a cool opportunity. So yeah, let's do it. You know, I think there were some reasons, obviously, that they thought that I would be a good candidate, languages and experience overseas and, and awareness about the way the world works and all sort of that broader view of, of our place in the world and how we interact also as humans. But yeah, it was definitely not something that I ever sort of dreamed I would be doing, but I'm so damned happy that I did and so thankful that the opportunity came because it was a phenomenal experience. So was being a CIA agent what you expected or were there any surprises along the way? I guess I didn't really know what to expect because the only baseline understanding I had of that world was James Bond films and Mission Impossible, Impossible films. And yes, of course, there were definitely elements of that sort of high speed, really exciting, thrilling working overseas. But I think what I wasn't prepared for, didn't have a notion about was just how deep and how varied the expertise is in that building, because it's not just amazing sort of spies and people who collect intelligence. It's not just brilliant, big-brained analysts. There's scientists, 
there are medical officers, there's all kinds of roles and specialisms that I didn't even know were roles or specialisms in that building and in that environment. And it was just so eye-opening to think, oh my gosh, there is room for literally every skill and skills that you don't even know are skills in this building. And that was really cool because all of a sudden it meant that if I chose to make a lifelong career out of it, I could start doing one thing and then end up doing something totally, totally different, you know? And, and I have people who started in my cohort who did start out being trained as analysts and then went out into the field and became technicians and engineers and, and had no sort of university training in those fields, but were trained on the job in, in of course, a very specific way of, of doing things. It was a place of endless possibilities and endless skill sets that you could pick up. Was there a pivotal moment when you decided that you wanted to leave and do something different? It wasn't, I wouldn't say there was like one blinding flash of light moment, but it was an accumulation of nothing external, but more of what was happening internally with me. Because I'm the type of person who really likes to set myself new challenges, whether they're physical, intellectual, professional. And I started towards the last sort of one to two years of my time at the CIA, started to feel a little bit restless and I feel a little bit like, you know, I'm really loving what I do. I'm very, very good at it. We've had some major, you know, milestone successes as an organization and as the teams that I've worked with. And I just started to get a little bit of wanderlust and that idea of like, is this it for me? And and it started out as a question, is this it? And is this something I want to do forever? And the short answer was, of course, I could do it forever. I would have loved it. There were so many different ways I could have taken my career, but it just started to get a little bit louder and louder, that voice of like, maybe try something else, maybe test yourself in a new way, in a totally different way. And so I finally made that decision. And I am the type of person who wants to leave on a high. So, you know, I had some really, like I said, some really fantastic, both personal as well as organizational sort of milestones and achievements um, that came in the run up to me leaving. And I thought better to leave now feeling full of, you know, those accomplishments, those achievements and, and all of the that sense of camaraderie and, and, and mission accomplished that comes with it instead of waiting for things to die down and then it being a bit of like an afterthought, a bit of a, of a flat sort of entrance kind of thing. And so, so I did. It, it was for that reason. Like I said, it wasn't this one flash of like insight where I was like, oh, I need to leave. It was, is this it? And if not, then what next? And like I said, I like to test myself to try different things and to, to not really get too comfortable because like I said earlier, the world is so fascinating. There's so many opportunities, so many experiences, so many challenges, internal and external. And so I thought, okay, well, what's something totally new, something totally new to me. And for me, that was, I've always worked in this, in the social sciences and, and, um, you know, foreign policy and international affairs. And I thought, well, what don't I know a lot about? And there are many things I don't know a lot about, but one that seemed like a, a good next step was the world of business. Because for me, one of my guiding values is about making a positive impact. And, you know, I was able to do that with the work I did at the CIA. And then I thought, okay, well, I can make a positive impact as in the world of business by starting my own business, by, you know, creating economic opportunities for other people, or by joining an organization and improving it. You know, these were all of the, again, totally untested ideas that I had. And I thought, okay, let's do this. So I went to business school and loved it. And that two-year break was a really brilliant transition because I was able to 
to have that time instead of constantly doing and, and, and dealt like diving into a new role or in a new career to explore things and to let the lessons and the, the training from the CIA sort of really just embed themselves in a way that I didn't know how I would be able to use in, in my new life and my new career, but it, it was a lot of time for the subconscious work and the, the inner reflection and the time for experimentation. And that was what I think was the most valuable was there was a huge world of possibilities. I could have gone in so many directions and being a student again, you're encouraged to experiment or at least try different things, you know, get internships, do a project, you know, work here for a couple of weeks and do this thing there. And so I really immersed myself in all of that sort of experimentation of different industries, working in different countries, you know, working at startups versus established organizations. And what that really showed me was, well, a couple of things. One, the skills that I had honed and developed at the agency were were in many ways translatable in in the world of business. But two was I really didn't want to work for anybody else. And I wanted to test myself in the hardest way possible by starting my own business. So that's exactly what I did. Brilliant. And what was your first business? Yeah, so it's um, not obvious by looking at me, uh, but it was it is still in uh, real estate investment and construction. And it was one of those, uh, again, sort of not trial and error, but I went through a lot of thought processes to decide, okay, well, what's the business I'm really going to get excited about that I'm going to give my all to? And I tried lots of other other things that didn't really capture my my intellect in the, in the same way. And I decided on on real estate because it's so tangible. The work I was doing before was all about your brain, all about you know, sort of conceptual things and ideas and, and analysis. And there was no hard thing to show for my work at the end of the day. There was a briefing, there was a report, there was, you know, some that kind of thing. And I am a very analytical person, but also a very creative person. And I loved the idea of the transformation of the before and after of taking plot of land or, or a home and transforming it into something that the people who live in there would be very proud to live in and very inspired and, and happy to, to make their home. And that's what I could control with my creativity, of course, using the analysis for all of the business side of things, but then also having an outlet for the other side, which is the creative side, which is the sort of bigger picture thinking about it's not just, you know, how do we design this house, but how is it going to be used? And how do we, you know, what's going to make sense for the type of person who's going to live here? And is it for families? Is it for professionals? Whatever it is, all of that, that analytical toolkit, but creating something physical with it was a really great way of balancing the two. Okay, and you've written an aptly named book from CIA to CEO, which is a toolkit for leaders and entrepreneurs, and it reveals the techniques of the CIA and how anyone can find their voice and thrive in the world of business without conforming to stale stereotypes or dated best practice. So had you always wanted to write a book? I did. I've always, I've always written. I've always loved to, to write, and I've always considered myself a writer. And it was a lifelong ambition, goal, dream, whatever you want to call it, to be a published author. Mm -hmm. And so, I again, it goes back to something I, I shared earlier about having a very clear-eyed sort of idea of the what. What do I want? What do I care about? What are my values? And then being slightly open-minded about the how. As, again, as long as it's in alignment with my integrity and my values, you know, how it comes and when it comes to, to let go of some of that. And be open to the possibilities. And, and the reason I share that is because the first book I actually ever wrote was a nonfiction novel. 
And it was a fictionalized account of my experience at the CIA. And the way I teed it up at the time was it was sort of sex in the city meets homeland. So you've got the story of these three really close or four really close friends, which again are sort of adapted from real life friends that I made while I was there, all of us women, and how our experience was very unique to a lot of what the popular culture sells around, you know, James Bond and Jason Bourne and all that. Um, but also that's sort of the, the sex in the city side. But then, of course, there's a huge intelligence and sort of homeland aspect to it. And all of us, you know, lived and worked in very high octane places and war zones and had done some really off the beaten path things in our careers. So that was the book that I wrote. And I thought that this is going to be my my book. And I went through the process of finding an agent and, and got some really positive feedback from two agents who were keen to represent me, but they wanted me to rework some of it. And so... I started that process and then it just left me. You know, I am actually a, a true believer in, in sort of muses and in creativity as a, as a thing. And it just left me. I had done it. I had sort of paid homage to my career, to my friends in that way by writing that book. But the fire to get it out into the world was, was just gone. And I, I revisited it months later, weeks later, years later, and I just really never got that spark. And it might come back, who knows? But I didn't let that stop me. I didn't let that sort of be the end of my writing career. Again, mm-hmm. I took a very experimental approach to like, okay, well, maybe that's not the thing, but I still love to write. So I started writing a blog around business and actually sharing some of the insights I was mm-hmm. getting from operating my own business, from growing it, from scaling it, some of the mistakes I've made, the challenges I faced and how to overcome them. And I found, I really loved it. You know, I, I have a very, well, unique to me style where mm-hmm. I am very honest, but I also like to sort of inject humor into these things because life and, and serious things can also be really funny. And and sometimes the worst things, if we can find humor in them. And so I was just sharing very honestly and candidly about my experiences and as a business owner and, and someone who's going through all of these challenges and navigating them, et cetera. And then, you know, sort of I, I kept at that, just writing it for, uh, for myself and then started publishing it in a blog. And then I was asked to uh, contribute to a, an industry magazine with a regular, with a monthly article. And I just sort of let the writing process take me wherever. But then it got to a point where I was like, I keep getting questions from my readers about very similar things. And instead of writing to each individual one, or instead of providing the insights and the the coaching to the the people that were coming on as my clients one-on-one or in small groups, I thought, well, why not create something, a book that can bring it to a wider audience? Because it's not just for entrepreneurs. It's not just for leaders. I mean, it's got the, t- the word CEO, but I look at leadership as a very universal thing. You don't need to have a title. You don't need to have an office. You don't need to have anything. This book is for people who want to lead their own lives. And I mean that in both senses of the word. So lead their own lives as far as be a leader of their life and own their decisions and the repercussions and, and take responsibility for it, but also lead their own life as far as living their own life, being the ones who are deciding, what is it going to look like? What do I care about? And how am I showing up for that? Am I in alignment with what I say I care about with, and and am I aligning that with what I do? Or am I following somebody else's path? Have I gone down this course because someone told me to, or it's the dumb thing, or, you know, we have so much noise in our heads and, and pressures coming at us from so many different directions that yes, of course, come out when we're leaders, but all of us are leaders of our own life. So this is a book fundamentally for, 
for living and leading based on your values, what's important to you, setting yourself, you know, bold, big dreams, ambitions, goals. And then it's a very practical toolkit for, okay, well, this is how you do it. This is how you can do it and explore and experiment and um, and take some of those CIA tools that I was trained in and adapt them. And, and like I said, in a very tangible way, the book is full of exercises and reflections and worksheets and things. So it's not just me telling you my story. It's, hey, this is how it worked for me. This is how you can apply it in your own day-to-day life and realities. Could you talk a little bit about your personal energy map to create a leadership style that's authentic, honest, and sustainable? I found that Again, all of us, whether we work for ourselves or in an organization, culturally, we're given this idea that, you know, we have to, working hours are nine to five or eight to six or whatever they are for us in our industry. And we're forced to fit into this mold of, okay, well, this is when I have to be on. This is when I have to be sort of ready to engage. This is when I have to be, you know, ready to handle, you know, the detail or the analysis or whatever. That doesn't make any sense, right? Because How in the world is it possible that every single human being can come mentally and physically and and emotionally and energetically alive for just that period when they're at work? Like that's not how, that's not how reality is, right? And so many of us have internal energy ebbs and flows that are maybe not totally out of alignment with that, but are just misaligned in some places. So the idea of the personal energy map is about very consciously mapping what your energy ebbs and flows are throughout the course of a day, a week, maybe a month or a season or a year. And then whenever possible, aligning the activities you do in your life and in your career with where your energy is ebbing and flowing. So for example, for me, I found much to my surprise after having um, a second child on my hands and while I was writing the book, uh, having a newborn, that I was really energetically and creatively on fire very early in the morning, like from the hours of 4am to 8am. If I was awake because of my newborn um, around that time, I stayed awake because my brain was just firing. And that was when I sat down to do the creative work, to do the writing, to plan my workshops, to do all of that stuff that required that type of energy. I did. And then of course, you know, doing other things throughout the rest of the day, but I didn't try to force myself to be creative, you know, later in the day, because energetically, again, I was on a, on a downward turn. And, and again, it changes over time, it changes over the course of a week. For example, mm-hmm. I'm much more sort of high energy on a, on a Tuesday and a Thursday, for whatever reason, I don't know, yeah. than oh. I might be on <laughs> other days of the week. But yeah. it's not to say that you can't adapt that, right? The idea of Mm -hmm. knowing what your personal energy map is, knowing what it is, you can, when possible, operate in alignment with it. But when it's not possible to then again, create boundaries or structures that will enable you to do that. So for example, you know, Monday, sort of late afternoon, I don't have a lot of energy for big, important things. And so if I do have to do something on a Monday, I just make sure that I just choose one big, important thing. So one meeting, one event, one interview, one whatever it is, so that I'm not, again, constantly going against what's happening internally and forcing myself to just power through. Because, yes, we can all do it and we have to do it sometimes. You know, the world isn't going to all of a sudden open up to us and be like, yeah, sure, just do what you feel like doing when you feel like doing it. But... 
when you can, of course, do that and it will make your performance and again, everything else feels so much better. And then when you can't, just structure it in ways that will enable you to get the most out of where you are in that moment. So, you know, don't schedule if you can and when you can help it. Don't schedule important meetings for when you have an energy lull or, you know, and, and, and you're feeling a little bit sort of tired. Don't schedule really mundane administrative tasks when your brain is very creatively on fire. Like it's just, you know, try to work as much as possible within what your inner workings are, are telling you. Yeah, that's such a useful tool. So as you know, we book expert business owners and authors and coaches as guests on podcasts. So one final thing that I wanted to ask you is for your thoughts about the misconceptions of self-promotion. Oh, this is a big one. (laughs) I talk a lot about visibility and I think there's a huge, in addition to the pay gap and the confidence gap that we hear about, you know, women confronting, there's a huge visibility gap. And this is something, yes, society has a lot to answer answer for and, and should answer for, but at least, and again, men can do this too, but particularly for women, I think it's so important to put ourselves out there. And, and people talk about it as self-promotion, as if it's somehow this seedy, in-your-face endeavor where you're like always, yeah, just in people's faces. And I would like to flip that and reframe it for people. It's not about being self-promoting. It's about being more visible. It's about Mm -hmm. sharing with the world what you do, how good you are at, at doing that thing, the service you provide, the product you've got, this amazing idea that you want to bring attention to, whatever it is. Because fundamentally, if you don't, it's a way of being very selfish. And I know a lot of it comes from being, you know, being afraid of, oh, what will people say and how will they react and all that, that fear of the negativity and the fallout, potential fallout. If you've got this product, this service, this idea, this whatever it is that you know is going to help other people make their lives better, make their days better, make them a little mm-hmm. bit happier, whatever it is, keeping it to yourself is being really selfish. And you cannot help people. You cannot reach people. You cannot change their lives for the better or help them or do whatever it is that you do if they don't know you exist. So it's not about being self-promoting. It's about sharing. And if you think of it as sharing, then it takes some of the, the weight that we've put on this idea out of it. And you can just take a lighter approach to it and then just, and then take it as, yeah, I'm just sharing what I've got, whether you like it or not, that's not in your control. You can't determine how people are going to respond. But at least putting it out there gives them the opportunity to tell you whether they love it or hate it. And then you do what you got to do to make it better if that's, you know, if that's what you got to do, but at least give them an opportunity. That's great. I love that. Okay, well, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing all that knowledge and all your insights. Where can listeners go to connect with you? Best places, I would say, is just start at my website, because it will take you to all of the other places you want to go. So it's rupalypatel.com. And you can learn more about my work and my ideas about these things. And then, yeah, where you can find me on Instagram and LinkedIn. Brilliant. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Visit www.victoriabenyon.com to book a free podcast guesting strategy session with one of our team. Using the information you provide when you book, we'll get to know you and your business better. So you get the most value from your strategy call. You will come away from this 30-minute session with huge value. We'll share our top tips for being a podcast guest and up to five suggestions of perfect fit podcasts you can approach. Thank you so much for listening to the Best Guest Podcast today. I'll talk to you again in the next episode.